Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm welcoming myself back to Christ Church. It's so good to be in the Lord's house today, and I want to thank all of you for your prayers for Christy and I as we dealt with COVID. Um, I can tell you that the doctors are saying that I'm no longer contagious, so if I come up and hug you, don't be worried, right? Um, but I am a little fatigued, so if I fall out, who's going to be the first one to give me mouth-to-mouth? -mouth? Who's coming up? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, nah, nothing like that. I have a little nagging cough, but me and the Lord have talked about it today, and he said that I'm not going to have to worry about that while I preach today. So it might come back after I preach, but I'm okay right now. Both Christy and I are really happy to be back together with our church family today, and that's what this is. It's a church family, and, and I love all of you. And, and I want to thank Michael Pittman, my brother, uh, one of our elders in church who uh, once again uh, took the, stood in the gap for me while I had to be gone, uh, while I was dealing with COVID. I thought Michael did a great job. Thank you, Michael. I don't know where he is. Where, where is he this morning? Over, where, where, where is he? He's, he's hiding out. Okay, so we'll see him later because he's coming up to pray for us at the end. Um, hey, as a pastor, I got to tell you, I feel great knowing that we have people that can fill that gap when I can't be there. So uh, God has really blessed our church with several people who can do this. Uh, now, last week, Michael began this series that we've entitled, Who Are We?, uh, by sharing our mission statement and getting into some detail about what that statement means. And let me just go over that statement again with you we exist to build relationships that honor God and lead to transformation in Christ. And I'm going to get you to just repeat that with me, okay? I, just like I do in a wedding ceremony because brides and grooms, they can't memorize everything. So I go little bit by bit just to help them out. So I'm going to say it. You repeat it with me. We exist, we exist. to build relationships that honor, God that honor God and lead to transformation, lead to transformation in, Christ. in Christ. That wasn't so hard, was it? So when somebody says, hey, what is your church all about? I, I hope that you can at least remember relationships that honor God and help to transform us in Christ. Now today I want to build on that foundation that Michael started uh, as we talk about a little bit more about what we believe this all means specifically today about our transformation in Christ. And as we turn our thoughts in that direction, let me ask you, have you ever experienced change in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced change in your life. Now, it would be shocking if none of us had ever experienced, in fact, if any one of us had not experienced change, it would be shocking. There are many things that bring about change for us. There, there might be events or circumstances that happen that are totally outside of our control that can lead to change. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a few things this morning, and if any of these things are things that you would say, you know what? I see change that came as a result of that. I want you to raise your hand, okay? 
So as I go, if, it, if you know that there's changes that you have to deal with today because of this, just raise your hand. 9-11. 9-11. Anybody that travels today on an airplane, you're going to experience change as a result of 9-11, right? We, could, we would say that. And there's a lot of other things that are changed because of that. But now this may be, may not be for you, but uh, natural disasters like Hurricane Floyd. Anybody here that had some changes that you had to go through because of Hurricane Floyd? There are a lot of places in Greenville still uninhabitable, and there are people that lost family members as a result of that. Um, in fact, you can still go out to Ironwood and see the sign up on the tree, how high the waters got uh, during Hurricane Flood. How about marriage? Anybody here experience change that is a result of marriage? Now, y'all didn't raise your hand. <laughs> now, now, Christy and I just celebrated 33 years of marriage, and, and my life has changed since marrying her. Uh, now, every morning, I get up and say, yes, ma'am, you know, um, what, whatever you want, dear, you know, uh, y'all know that that is true. Um, but, uh, you know, marriage is one thing, but children are another. How about children? Have any of you experienced a change as a result of having children? You know, when, when our firstborn, Alyssa, was born, I realized that my life would never be the same again. Because now this little baby is depending upon me. Now, not just me, on Christy too, but I knew that I had responsibility that even went beyond being married. You know, Christy could have lived without me and been perfectly happy, but now, you know, I got this child. Hey, you didn't have to laugh so hard about that. Or that. And, and then adding another child, anybody have more than one child in here? Okay, so y'all know what I'm saying. Children and marriage bring about some changes. How about death? The loss of a family member brings about change. And I've, I, and, and I've been honest about, with this with you guys, especially at the holidays. It's been, it's been tough without my mom and, you know, things that are happening now and realizing, you know, that, you know, we have an eternal life, but it's not meant to be here, right? But when we do lo lose a loved one, it will change uh, how we experience things. So here's another one, COVID. Anybody here had to go through COVID? Um, well, just the fact that COVID came in general, um, there are so many changes as a result of that uh, that we all had to live through. I mean, you students, you had to go through one or two years where, you know, it totally changed our school systems. Um, and so... Uh, our medical care has changed as a result of that. So how about, let me ask any of you. Now, see, some of you are too young to be able to say anything about this. But age, anybody here can say, you know what? You know what? Eli, you're too young to be raising your hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I know what change age brings. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many of you can empathize? Like, you go to bed at night, nothing seems to be hurting. 
You wake up in the morning, and oh, man, what has happened? Anybody here know what I'm talking? Okay. See, when I turned 40, my eyesight started to just drop right off the map. So, you know, age brings about some changes. Um, so uh, these events or circumstances of life can have a powerful impact upon us. They can often change us, change how we live, change our outlook on life, and they can affect us differently. Some people may go through tragedy, uh, lost and broken. Others may go through it and come out stronger and more resolved. As we deal with these changes, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of people do we want to be? How do I want to come out of this? Do I want to come out better or do I want to come out bitter? Do we want to take the negative track to a hopeless outlook on life? Uh, that track, again, may leave us bitter and angry and will probably treat other people accordingly. And this reminds me that not all change is good. Some change is good, but not all change is good. Think about that good change. Some change is good and is vital for our relationship with other people and with God. And there's another word for that change that I want us to focus on this morning. And that word is transformation. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we read, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now think about what that's telling us. It's telling us that in our minds we can be transformed. Now that Greek word transformed comes from a word <coughs> metamorpho. Now, I bet many of you can guess what English word we have today that comes from that word. That word means to change into another form. So what is that English word that we have today? Metamorphosis, Metamorphosis right? We may think of a, how a, 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 a basically plain, ugly larva can uh, go through metamorphosis and become this beautifully colored butterfly. When, when the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, the Holy Spirit will bring about change. This is one of our core values as a church. I can't change anybody. Have you figured that out yet? You can't change anybody. Now, you can have an influence on other people, but you can't make them change. You can't make somebody love you. Now, maybe you could make somebody hate you, but you might not be able to make somebody love you. But the Holy Spirit can bring about change. We believe there is a spiritual change that occurs in the person who has become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so here's our big idea for the day. A result of coming into a saved relationship with Christ is a total change in our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. 
And I want you to think about that, that when we come into relationship with Christ, a result of that is that our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions are going to change. <clears throat> so here's a core value. We believe in the necessity of a spiritual transformation through Christ. Hear me out again. The necessity of a spiritual transformation through Christ. When we become Christians, we are no longer to live like we lived before we came to Christ. Now again, think about what that word transformation means. It means to change from one form into another form. We are changing into the form of Christ. We are to become more and more like him, not in our physical nature, but in our spiritual nature. In Galatians 5, 22 through 25, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. I memorized it years ago as patience, but it, in the newer translation it says forbearance. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, earlier in Galatians, we can read about the sinful nature. Now, we just read about the Spirit nature, but the sinful nature is sort of the exact opposite. And what that Spirit nature produces in our life is opposite of what the spirit nature produces. That list of the acts of the flesh involve the acts that our passions lead us to. It isn't meant to be an exhaustive list, but it gives us a picture of a person who is living to please their sinful nature. But a change occurs when we give our life to Christ genuinely, wholeheartedly, his spirit comes in and moves in us in a direction that is different. Now, uh, I don't know if you, any of you have ever been through some weight loss program. I've, I've been through some, but in many weight loss programs, uh, they ask you to take a before picture and an after picture. You, you're aware, aware of that. Uh, before you started your weight loss and then a picture after you achieve where you wanted to get to. And those pictures can be dramatic. But I would say no more dramatic than when we give our lives to Christ and experience a spiritual transformation. So what I want to show you is a little chart that is, if you think about it this way, it's a before and an after picture of someone who has lived to please the sinful nature before and now they've accepted Christ and they're living to please the spirit nature. Before, and maybe we can see that, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, it has this list of things. Before we became a Christian, we were controlled by these desires on the left side. After we became a Christian, we were controlled more by the Holy Spirit and the desires of the Spirit. Before the Spirit came, we see that the acts of the sinful nature versus, again, the, the Spirit nature 
Uh, before the Spirit came into our lives, our life was dominated by the desire for sexual immorality, for impurity and debauchery. Now, debauchery is a word many people may not understand, but basically it means that we're just giving in to anything we want to do. It's unbridled lust. Uh, so whatever my heart desires, I do it like an animal, right? But that is not the Holy Spirit's nature. We deal with idolatry, which is the worship of a false god or idol in our life. Maybe we don't worship carved images. Like if we go to Togo, uh, we may see, you know, and many people still do this. They get like a corn cob and they, you know, carve it out and they put it up and they worship this thing. And you think how silly that is. But it's no less silly than the things that we idolize and that we may worship as opposed to God. Before we became a Christian, we might have idolized celebrities or athletes. That's why the word idol is placed upon them. We take that person and we put them up and we adore them. We worship them almost as an idol. We worship material possessions. Some people worship cell phones and technology. If you don't believe that, if you've got a teenager, just take that cell phone away for a week and see how... Now, I know not our teenagers. They wouldn't be like that. They're more spiritually minded. But there are a lot of kids that are addicted to these things. And I, and I shouldn't just say kids, right? Because many adults are as well. The passage mentions witchcraft. Now, I, you know, oh, I'm not involved in witchcraft, but you know the Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakia. You got any guesses about the word we use today that comes from that word? Pharmacy. Now, I am not saying that my wife is a witch. That's not, I don't want anybody to take this wrong. But the idea came from, you know, witches would take the herbs and they would brew up some concoctions and they would do their thing. But that, that was basically the, the idea there is that there were people, uh, maybe the illicit use of these things in society. A part of life without the Spirit is having hatred for others, <coughs> creating discord or strife. Being jealous to the point of not willing to share what we have with others. Life before the Spirit could be filled with fits of rage and selfish ambition. Think about driving down Fire Tower Road and somebody cuts you off. And that, that, that urge comes to, you know, wave at them with one finger, you know, um, <laughs> And, and so, or, or we want to drive up behind them and tailgate them or, you know, cut them off just like they did us. So we, we deal with these fits of rage. But the, this belongs to the sinful nature. This is not the nature of the Holy Spirit. We also may be involved in dissentious or divisive behavior where we, we try to create discord with people. You know, if, if you go, if you work in an office, sometimes uh, office places can be really nice to work in, but at others, there can be a lot of gossip, there can be a lot of talking back and forth, and uh, Christy told me years ago, and I've mentioned this before, but that, uh, you know, and 
you know, she works at the hospital. And, you know, when somebody might be gone, people would be talking about them. And then she thought to herself, I wonder what they say about me when I'm not here. But that's true, isn't it? And you involve yourself in that kind of activity where you're talking negatively about somebody in a group of people that is a divisive or dissentious way of talking. We, we would form a party mentality, which is the rejection of anybody that doesn't agree with everything I think. Now, you're going to be in a party of one because I don't think everybody agrees with everything that you think. But envy of what others have is also a part of that life. When, when I see somebody else that has something nice, something that I might like, and I get angry about seeing their success, that reveals the old way of thinking. And then, and I know that this isn't really as much a part of our culture as it was the, their culture, but drunkenness or intoxication, you know. Uh, we live in a college town where I'm sure this never happens. We, we never have issues with this. Uh, you know, but when someone is intoxicated by alcohol or drug use is an act associated with a sinful nature. Uh, whenever we give up control of ourself to a substance, whenever we're thinking, well, if I just drink this, I'll feel a little better. Friend, that, that's not the way of the Spirit. And we have a problem. How many people have we seen? Because people always videotape it these days with these phones, you know. That's the thing about these phones. Nothing is secret. Nothing is hidden. Every time somebody acts the fool <coughs> downtown, they're going to get videotaped. So, you know, how many people have done dumb things when they were intoxicated? You know what I'm saying? How many videos have we seen of people acting foolishly when drunk or drugged? Friends, this is not from the Holy Spirit. If we need that to produce a feeling within us, there's a problem. If you take pride in the fact that you go partying, and I know we, we have this little phrase about ECU. We are G Vegas, right? We are proud of G Vegas. Why? Vegas is a party town, right? And so I know you're, I don't know if it is today, but ECU must, at one time was thought to be one of the best party towns in America. Wow, boy, something to be proud of. Uh, the idea of getting lit. This is something that is just, did I, did I say it wrong? Is that, is, that, is that the wrong thing to say? I mean, I, 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 at least some of my friends tell me that's what it is. When, when that is what we're seeking, that is the old nature, that is the before picture. And finally, the text mentions orgies. Now, I know that that has taken on a sexual connotation, but it was really more about carousing and partying, sort of partying out of control. Think about this. The text is telling us this is not from God. This is not the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit moves in us, the Holy Spirit produces different actions within us. 
Uh, that was not to be meant as a complete list of sins or of things that are produced by the sinful nature. <coughs> it's more of an overview. But the text gives us that before picture, but then we see the after picture. The text reveals the fruit of the Spirit. What does the Spirit produce as opposed to the fruit of the sinful nature? Um, instead of hatred and rage and discord, what does the fruit of the Spirit produce? Love, right? Wouldn't you say love is the exact opposite of hatred or rage or discord? This, of course, is unconditional love for all people, not just for people that love us and treat us well. The Spirit brings us joy, even in the midst of sorrow and sadness. The Spirit brings peace, even when all around us may be chaos. The Spirit brings forbearance or patience, especially with other people. And see, this is something that I see in our culture that we're losing. We don't have patience for people anymore. We really don't. Uh, we, this, this means that we will put up with people even as they begin to get on our nerves. The Spirit brings acts of kindness towards others rather than using other people for our own selfish purposes. This means we look for ways to serve them. <coughs> the Spirit produces good acts of benevolence where we look for ways, again, to do good for other people because the Spirit brings in us this desire to benefit other people and not just ourselves. Now, I hope as we're looking at this that you're looking at this as if you are in that picture. The before and the after for you, those of you that have accepted Christ. The Spirit produces faithfulness, which means, friends, that we are dependable and reliable. Can people depend upon you to follow through on your commitments and promises even when it is hard. The Spirit helps us to be gentle with those who have failed in an attempt to return them to faith. Think about that. Instead of, you know, wanting to just trash people and cast them aside because they have failed, we, we have this amenable spirit to try to help heal them. We don't want to kill our wounded. We want to heal those who are spiritually wounded. And um, we have that spirit rather than a confrontational spirit. Paul closes out this explanation of the fruit of the spirit by mentioning self-control. I think self-control is really a key with all of these things. If you think the sinful nature or think about the sinful nature and you look at that list, it appears that we just lose control, right? It's like we, we do whatever we want to do and we just lose control. We get angry, we get mad, we get bitter, we cuss and we talk bad about people. We have outbursts of anger. We give in to our passions, our lusts. We act like wild animals. But the Spirit calls us to self-control. 
We don't give in to those passions. Instead of reacting out of anger, we respond with love and patience. Self-control speaks to controlled power. You see, we certainly could react in other ways, but we control ourselves. What a contrast to a culture around us where people are living out of control lives. And that's the change that occurs when we come into a genuine relationship with Christ. We no longer seek after the things of the world, but the things of Christ. We no longer chase the passions of the sinful nature. Now we chase the passions of the Holy Spirit. Before we were only concerned about ourselves and what we wanted, now we are concerned with what God wants. And I think the best, or one of the best examples of the change that comes when the Holy Spirit moves in our lives is to just look at those early apostles and the change that came in their life as they hung around Jesus and as he molded them. Before Jesus, they were focused on their own lives. Nothing wrong <coughs> with what they were doing. They were making a living, going about their lives, you know, probably going to the temple or synagogues. And then they met Jesus. And would you say Jesus changed their lives forever? I would say he did. They began to follow him. They left their jobs and followed him. They began focusing on teaching other people about Jesus and learning as much from him as they could. They gave their time. They gave their service to God. But the greatest change actually came after his death and his resurrection. It's one thing to follow Jesus when it's popular, when all the crowds are coming around and everybody's cheering <clears throat> when the, but when the people and the leaders turned against Jesus, would these disciples remain faithful? You know, at first it was questionable. You know, when the mob came to take Jesus, almost all the disciples scattered and ran for the hills. Peter, thinking, you know, I'm going to be the good servant. I'm going to draw my sword and I'm going to fight off these bad people and protect Jesus and he actually cut off the ear of one of the chief priest's servants. But Jesus rebuked Peter and said, put, put that away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And Peter's like, man, you sh you're not encouraging me here at all. And then Peter walked away, sad, not knowing what to do. And he followed as they dragged Jesus off to be tried and tortured and beaten. And when he was confronted by several people out by a little fire pit, Peter denied that he knew Jesus, cursing and declaring he never knew who this man was. And when Jesus looked at him, he was emotionally broken and he ran away weeping. I mean, he was broken to the core. Again, the other disciples just abandoned Jesus altogether except for John, who was there. He had some connection that enabled him to be there at the trial. We see most of them gather again in the upper room where they had just enjoyed the Passover meal with Jesus. They were hiding out, afraid that they would receive the same treatment Jesus received. It wasn't until they saw the risen Savior that their fear disappeared and was replaced by bold courage. And after that, they publicly proclaimed the risen Savior. They proclaimed him on the day of Pentecost, and they baptized 3,000 people in one day. 
They led the early church and stood against the powerful leaders of the Jewish community and the Roman government. They began to be persecuted for preaching about Jesus. They were thrown into prison. Some were beaten. Eventually, all but one would be put to death. But none of them would recant their testimony that Jesus died and that he rose again. Their faith and the power of the Holy Spirit gave them courage they needed to lead that early church. And friends, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit will change us too. The way we serve God will change. We will look for ways to serve Him. We won't look for excuses. We'll look for opportunities. The way we live will change. We will seek to bring glory and honor to God rather than to please our sinful nature. Our desires will be for God and for His kingdom rather than for the world. And when we look in the mirror, we can see the changes that our body has gone through on some weight loss program. If we get our hair cut, we can see you know, the, the change in the mirror. So how do we know if we've experienced a spiritual transformation? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20, Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. What fruit are you producing? Fruit is something that is visible. Now my mama, if, if she saw a tree, that even if it didn't have fruit, she could probably tell you what kind of tree that was. I'm not that good. If I walk up to an apple tree, I do assume it's an apple tree. If it has apples on it. You hear what I'm saying? If I walk up to an, uh, and see oranges on a tree, I'm not thinking, well, that's an apple tree. You know, so maybe I'm weird, but that's, that's me. Uh, I, I can tell by the fruit that it produces. <clears throat> when people look at your life, what fruit do they see? Do they see the fruit from the before picture? Or do they see the fruit from the after picture? Do they see selfish attitudes? Do they see arrogance and pride? Do they see someone living for the passions and desires of this world? Do they see someone who wants to argue and debate but not love? Or do they see selfless attitude? Do they see humility? Do they see a person living for the kingdom of God? Friends, we believe in the necessity of a spiritual transformation through Christ. There is no way around it. When we follow Jesus, we become different people. And if we don't change, then I would question, have we really accepted Christ? If there is no fruit, no fruit from the after picture, does the Holy Spirit actually live in us? And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think he does. Maybe we've gone through the motions to make people think we've made a decision. But if it's a genuine decision to follow Jesus, that after picture is going to be clear. Life change must occur when we come to Christ. And, and friends, we also believe in the necessity of loving relationships with God <coughs> and others through Christ. Now, this will be another part of the change that comes when we generally come into relationship with Christ. My love for others will be pure and unconditional. In other words, it won't be about uh, what's in it for me anymore. 
There was a time a teacher asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 and 31, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commands or commandment greater than these. This is the greatest change that comes with the spiritual transformation. It is the way we feel and act towards God and towards other people. And that will, this will reveal the spiritual transformation. Before we loved ourselves first, before we put ourselves ahead of others, even ahead of God, we would choose to do whatever we thought would please us. But the Spirit moves us to act differently. God becomes first. Others become second. We become third. This totally flips the script on the priorities of our world and our culture. In our culture, we're told that we should look after ourselves first and others second. And if there is a God, maybe he could come in there trailing at the end. Think of how this change would actually bring total change to our communities, to our churches. If we love God the way we should, our lifestyles would reflect it. We would act according to the Spirit. We would treat people with love and respect. When we treat people with respect, we don't get angry as easily as we once did. Think how easy it is for people to get mad these days. Just look at someone wrong and they get angry at you. Uh, people are constantly, pull, again, pulling out their phones and recording stuff because people are acting crazy towards each other. If you don't agree with people, you want to cancel them. And many times, Christians will act the same way towards others. We get angry over doctrinal differences. We get angry with the lost when they don't give glory to God. And yet Jesus says we are to love even our enemies. So it is that kind of love that sets us apart from the rest of the world. When we love God and we love others, we will want to serve God and we won't serve others. Uh, PBS uh, had this eight-part series that they called The Great American Read, and they explored America's 100 best-loved novels. And the series notes that one theme emerges in these 100 best-loved novels. It is the quest for love, especially romantic love that will endure here, here are some quotes from these literary experts commenting on these series and these novels. Uh, according, here's one quote. According to these novels, love is the driving force behind everything <coughs> we do. And so I, I think, as another person writes, uh, reading about all these different types of loves and the ways in which they present is one of the great human questions. Another quote, we want to see that things last. We want to know that you can't just throw love away. As human beings, as readers, we want something to be that important that you would stick with it forever. Another quote, we are fascinated by the fact that things can go wrong in love. We don't want to go there. We don't want this sort of thing to happen to us. 
And another commentator wrote, I love a good love story. I think everybody wants it. If you don't want it, uh, you're trying to get it. Uh, and if, if you have it, you're trying to keep it. And then finally, every book on this list is about love and death. And finding love that transcends death. I mean, who's not going to love a love story? You know, I'd say that as much as people love a good love story, and I'm, I imagine that we all would feel to some extent like that's true, God loves a good love story, and God has given us the best love story of all. Uh, the entire story of God and his desire to have relationship with us is a love story. His love for us has been incredible, and he desires for us to love him. And when we love him, we open the door to love other people with the pure, unconditional love. When you examine your love for people, would you describe it as unconditional, or do you put conditions on it? Would you say that you love God more than you love all others? At Christ Church, we believe <coughs> this is a result of a spiritual transformation that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives. Without that spiritual transformation, nothing else matters. There must be spiritual transformation. And this is how we know that our conversion is genuine. Have we changed? Have we been transformed? Do we want to be transformed? And I'll leave you with something that a uh, well-known uh, pastor and author John Ortberg writes in Leadership Journal. Significant human transformation always involves training, not just trying. Spiritual transformation uh, is a long-term endeavor. It involves both God and us. I liken it to the crossing of an ocean. Some people try day after day to be good, to become spiritually mature. That's like taking a rowboat across the ocean. It's exhausting <coughs> and usually unsuccessful. Others have given up trying and throw themselves entirely on relying on God's grace. They're like drifters on a raft. They do nothing but hang on and hope God gets us there. Neither trying nor drifting are effective in bringing about spiritual transformation. A better image is the sailboat, which if it moves at all, it's a gift of the wind. We can't control the wind, but a good sailor discerns where the wind is blowing and adjusts the sails accordingly. Working with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus likened to the wind in John 3, means we have a part in discerning the winds, in knowing the direction we need to go, and in training ourselves to catch the breezes that God provides. That's true transformation. And friend, the question that each of us has before us, have we been transformed? Are we seeking transformation what are we doing between us and God to realize that after picture of what God wants us to look at? Father, thank you for the transformation that your spirit has brought to us. Father, we pray that we will continue day to day to be transformed 
ever more into the image of Christ. I pray that as others see us, they will see the change that your spirit brings. Just like seeing a before and after picture of us, they can see what your spirit has done to mold us. This spiritual transformation is natural when we love Jesus and we accept him as our Savior. Your spirit produces this change in us. And possibly the greatest change is how we treat you and how we treat others. Is our worship of you a priority? Is our seeking you a priority? Are we treating people with the love that you have for us? I pray that our devotion to you will be evident to all. And as we love people the way you love people, may our love point the way to you. Jesus said, they will know we are his disciples by our love. And so, Father, we bring this sinful nature before you this morning. Whatever is not fitting your spirit, we want to leave here. We ask you to set it aside. Help us make life decisions that honor and glorify you rather than pleasing ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name.